0: Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Goodpods, TuneIn Radio, whatever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, And I have an email address, which is outlook.com. So either via social media or via email, you can submit any feedback, any possible topic suggestions. Those are always welcome and appreciated. And please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes. And if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. As always, I am grateful for your support. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode, Please go ahead and do so. It was a great episode with Lisa Parlich, which, you know, she's a microbiologist turned infection preventionist at a hospital system in Illinois. I met her during ID week, where she was presenting an oral abstract on a type of urine culture order that that they implemented at her hospital system on a specific patient population. So it seemed very interesting. So I reached out to her. I actually saw her, you know, during ID week. After the presentation we talked, I extended an invitation to the podcast and she accepted. So it was a great conversation and those of you that are working in microbiology, you're familiar with the urine the urinalysis with reflex to culture order, which means that if the if the urinalysis result is considered positive, it automatically reflexes to an urine culture. So Lisa talks about what the criteria for a positive urine culture is. She talks about this urinalysis with reflex to culture order. So we basically, you know, we break it down. And then she talks about this urinalysis with hold panel, which means that if the urine is positive, you know, it is placed on hold. And then the provider has about 48 hours to order an urine culture. And this is on the basis that a lot of times, you know, maybe sometimes if a patients have what's considered a positive urine, but they might not be experiencing any symptoms and we get all these cultures order and then we report organisms and then there's a cascade of events where we, right, we report the organism and then maybe it doesn't require susceptibilities, but then we get the request to perform susceptibilities. So we are putting all these results out there and sometimes we might think, you know, are we actually helping the patient, right? Is the, the patient, you know, being put on antibiotics, you know, for that particular case, you know, is that the correct choice? Are we contributing to AMR? I mean, we are not physicians, we're microbiologists, so we do the testing, we put the information out there, and then the physicians and the healthcare providers, they make that decision to treat the patient. So it seems that, you know, with this type of order, we maybe are reducing the number of unnecessary cultures. And I think the goal is to maybe extend it to other patient populations. So it's, you know, so far it seems to work well in her hospital system. So maybe this is something that you might be thinking about trying out in your hospital system. But overall, a great episode, great conversation. And it was great chatting with Lisa. You know, she's a microbiologist, so she worked in a large facility, just like I do. So she understands what it is, you know, working with a lot of samples, all these requests that we are, you know, we're putting all these results out there, and then we get requests for more susceptibilities, and a lot of times, you know, we see susceptible profiles, and then we know we still get a request for one of these MDR, you know, type um, antibiotics. So, you know, we have all these factors. So I think that sometimes, you know, if someone is able to contribute to reducing the number of unnecessary cultures, And at the same time, you know, contributing to reducing AMR, I think that's a plus. So, if you haven't checked out that episode, please go ahead and do so. So, today's episode is about Streptococcus pneumoniae. And this is something that I have touched on before. But as the podcast grows and gets more listeners, sometimes, you know, I like to replay older episodes because I don't think that, you know, they didn't stand a chance back then. I publish weekly, and the growth of the podcast is you know it's a steady growth, but a lot of times can be a little slow, so maybe some episodes they might not might have not gotten the traffic that they deserve because it is good material, it is good information. So today, I am replaying an episode that was originally episode fifty seven from season two, which is Streptococcus pneumonia. I did some editing. As always, you know, be mindful that as I progress in the podcasting world, you know, I get better with the sound. So sometimes, you know, there might be a little bit of a, of a different sound here and there, but the content is great. So definitely I invite you to listen to this episode. And this was part of, a, of two episodes, 57, Streptococcus pneumoniae, and then episode 58, which was about strep pneumo and testing. So please go ahead and check them out, if you haven't already. So in this episode, I go over the gram stain, I go over colony morphology, I talk about optokin, and I talked about the bile solubility test. So as I said before, great information, great content, so I hope you, you like it, and also definitely please share it with others. So let's go ahead and listen this great episode about streptococcus pneumoniae. So on today's episode, I want to talk about streptococcus pneumoniae. So the last time I went over an organism, I talked about enterococcus and VRE, which is vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. Those are episodes 53 and 54 of the last season. So go ahead and check them out if you haven't done so already. So let's go ahead and talk about Streptococcus pneumoniae, or strep pneumo. So if you hear me saying strep pneumo, so it's just it's Streptococcus pneumoniae. So this is a gram-positive cocci in pairs. It is a definitely a serious organism. It is one of the leading causes of morbidity and mortality. It is the primary cause of community-associated pneumonia, meningitis, and otitis media. The last one being actually the most common infection seen with streptococcus pneumoniae in children up to 3 years old. So what about pneumonia? So it causes 95% of all bacterial pneumonias. It is also the major cause of bacterial meningitis in the United States. And we're getting technical. It has a polysaccharide capsule that is associated with its virulence. The strains that are non-encapsulated are avirulent. So now that you're thinking about what would what a colony that's encapsulated will look like on agar. Well, if you're thinking mucoid, then yes, you are correct. So streptococcus pneumoniae, the strains that are encapsulated, they are mucoid on the agar. And, of course, you know, as, as a microbiologist, when you see this stuff on the, uh, on, on growing on media and you see the morphologies and stuff, you know, I always find it fascinating. But it's not to say I always have the understanding that this is serious for a patient. But as a tech, when you see this stuff, you know, you commit it to memory and you get more proficient. So we, always, we are excited in a way when we see organisms like this growing on agar because we can learn the morphologies, we can remember them. And it makes us better at our jobs. But we definitely know that this is serious for the patient. So seeing the stuff on plates growing, we get better at it because, you know, we start seeing them and we, you know, we know them and incorporate it into our, into our knowledge. But of course, you know, it is serious for the patients. But yes, you know, encapsulated strains, they tend to be mucus, mucoid, And that's also why it makes you think about cryptococcus neoformans, right? That's encapsulated. And when you see it on the plate, it is mucoid. So you might not see a strain like this in your hospital, maybe, depending if you're a a small facility. So you might see the QC strain, which is non-mucoid. But when you get it from a patient, sometimes you get this beautiful alpha hemolytic mucoid colonies. So strains that are encapsulated are virulent and strains that are non-encapsulated they are avirulent. And people may actually have it in their upper respiratory tract without without it causing any harm. And according to Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology, which is a great source that I mentioned in the podcast and that, that I use to get you know the, the information on these organisms, according to the, that book, there is a carriage rate of 5 to 75 percent it can spread to the lungs sinuses and middle ear and it can also access the bloodstream and the meninges that's why you know i mentioned that it causes meningitis so if you work in a lab and you run a meningitis panel you see that streptococcus pneumonia is one of the targets right in addition to other organisms but you see it there and that's the reason why you see it in this test. So streptococcus pneumonia also has, it has pneumolysin, which is a cholesterol-dependent satolysin. And this is a virulence factor that interferes with phagocytosis. It also has phosphorylcholine, which binds receptors for certain cells, helping the spread of the organism. There is a vaccine that helps in preventing infections, and I'm just mentioning it. I know that vaccination is a, it's always a, a heated topic, but there is a vaccine for streptococcus pneumoniae, and according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which is the CDC, there are two types of vaccines available in the U.S. One is the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, and the other one is the pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine for the criteria such as age, any medical conditions, and more refer to the CDC's website. So now that we know the pathogenicity, let's go ahead and talk about colony morphology. So like I mentioned, it is a gram-positive cocci, and you see it in pairs. You know, they are lancet-shaped. So this is good to remember if you're a student, and even if you're a professional in the field, and when I talk about identifying strep pneumo in samples, I will talk more about the gram stain and why this is something that you should remember. So, but if you're a student, you know, it's there are lancet shaped which are elongated, and you can you hear the term used diplococci. You know, it's something that you use, but typically, on know, in labs that I've been in, you can kind of, for gram positive cocci, you just use gram positive cocci chains and pairs, pairs and chains, clusters. So you might not use this term diplococci that much. So remember that it is Lancet-shaped, gram-positive cocci in pairs. So as far as media, it grows on blood, chocolate, PEA. It is recommended that the plates are incubated in CO2, which typically, you know, your respiratory samples and when you have you know, all these pathogens, when you have like, you know, like your Neisseria homophilus, you incubate incubated in CO2. And I mentioned this because, you know, typically some facilities you have urine cultures that you incubate them in non-CO2. But for streptococcus pneumoniae, which you might see it from a blood culture or a respiratory culture, typically, or an ear culture, so those, they go on CO2. But this is the recommended atmosphere for streptococcus pneumoniae. So the colonies are alpha-hemolytic, and like I mentioned before, encapsulated strains are mucoid. It is optokin-susceptible. And if you don't remember optokin, go ahead and check out episode 8 of this podcast. I go over optokin, but you remember that you have this disc, which is called the P-disc. And then you inoculate your plate, you put it there. And streptococcus pneumoniae is susceptible to optokin. So using, you know, you measure the zone of inhibition. And susceptible is 14 millimeters or greater. This is something that you have to be careful about because sometimes people do leave the P disc outside for many hours and they might not work. And I have been in, I have been breeding cultures where I see that you have a plate and they call it positive for P disc, which is that it's susceptible. So they're calling it strep pneumo. But then if you measure the zone, you might have 12 or 13. And you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be calling it streptococcus pneumoniae if you have a son of 12 or 13 we are actually performing a, an, a method of ID, such as Molotov, Vitek, etc. Because you might have a, a streptococcus mitis or another alpha strep, which are resistant to optokin. So if you are reading cultures and you have an optokin disc and you measure it's 12 or 13, you need to do an, an ID on it. But streptococcus pneumoniae, it's... Susceptible to optokin and in a zone of 14 millimeters or greater. This organism is a strep, so it's catalase negative. But there's also tests, you know, you can identify it using, like I mentioned, Vitek, Molditov. There are some tests out there that I will talk about in the next episode to identify strep pneumo. But however, there is a test that this is classic, and if you're a student, you might go over it, and maybe in your lab, because I know sometimes, you know, maybe not in the U.S., but in other parts of the the world, you know, you still do a lot of manual tests. So there is a classic test that is used in helping, you know, identify strep pneumo, and this is called the bile solubility test. Bile solubility test. So what is the bile solubil- solubility test? So this is a test that is used to differentiate strep from other alpha strep strep pneumo is soluble in it and other alpha hemolytic strep are not the principle of this test is that a bile salt lyses strep colonies and this is dependent on amidase which is an intracellular autolytic enzyme so how do bile salts do this well they lower the tension between the bacterial cell membrane and the medium. And this actually accelerates the autolytic process. So how is the test performed? Well, you grow the colonies on blood agar. I mean, if you have a, a pure culture and the time, which is, you know, 24 hours or younger, you can go ahead and perform it. But if not, if you have just a few colonies, you know, you sub it to a blood agar plate and then you go ahead and incubate it and then the next day you go ahead and perform the test. So what you do is, once you have your colonies on blood agar, you place a few drops of a 10% deoxycholate solution, which is a bile bile salt, on a colony and incubate the plate in non-CO2 at 35 to 37 degrees for 30 minutes. The colonies of strep pneumo, they are lice, and this leaves an imprint of the colony. Other alpha hemolytic strep, they do not lice. And the colonies remain intact. So this is called the spot method. There is also a 2% solution. And companies, you know, like Fisher, you know, they sell both solutions, and according to their site, the 10% may provide more rapid reactions. But both solutions have been tested and they work well. So you have that spot test, you have your colonies, you add your solution, and then you incubate for 30 minutes and then the colonies are lice. So that's a positive test for biosolubility. So there's also a method, which is the tube method. And for the tube method, you prepare a 0.5 McFarland suspension of the suspect colonies. Then you split it in equal parts to two tubes. In one of them, you add 0.5 mLs of the deoxycholate solution. And the other tube, you leave as is. And do you know why this says? Well, you know, if you're thinking that because it is used as a control, then you are correct, right? So you have one tube where you add in the solution and the other one you don't touch, so you can compare, right? Because you shouldn't see any change on the tube that doesn't have the solution. So once you do this, you incubate both tubes, same temperature, 35 to 37 degrees, and non CO2, and then you check up periodically for up to three hours a positive test shows clearing in the tube and what's this this is lysis whereas the control or a negative test remains turbid and keep in mind that this is an enzymatic reaction so like I mentioned you know you need older colonies might cause you know might give erroneous reactions you know inaccurate reactions so it is recommended that you know you need a 24-hour culture or younger. And this not only applies to enzymatic reactions, I mean this applies to susceptibilities and other tests. You don't want old colonies because sometimes you know the reactions might not be accurate. So when you're doing any type of workup, any type of setting, you know, setup for any type of test, you need all you always need a fresh culture, which is an 18 to 24-hour culture. So there you have it. You have two methods, the spot method, where you add the the solution directly to the colony. Or you have the tube method, where you prepare a suspension, and then you add the solution to it. So they both require being incubated at 35 to 37 degrees, in a non-CO2 incubator. So, to summarize, Streptococcus pneumoniae, a very serious organism, It is, you know, seen in otitis media, meningitis, pneumonia. And also, you know, there's a vaccination for it if you want it. And then it is an alpha hemolytic gram-positive cocci in pairs. And remember that morphology committed to memory. Because typically, you know, the streps, you see the long chains or you see the short chains. But this one is lancet-shaped and it occurs in pairs. So remember that. It's a strep, so it's catalyst negative. It is optokin susceptible. And if you haven't learned about optokin or if you want a refresher, go ahead and check out episode 8 of this podcast. And it is soluble to bile, meaning that it will, you know, the colonies, they will lyse in, in the presence of bile. And this test, you know, can be done by two methods, it can be performed by two methods, which are the tube and the spot method. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about Streptococcus pneumoniae. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. And if you haven't checked out the original series, episodes 57 and 58, on 58, I go over testing as well. So please check it out if you haven't already. As always, thank you for the support. Those of you that are actually uh, been waiting for another AMR subseries episode, stay tuned. It's coming it's closer than you think. So please hang on and stand by. So please continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. As always, I'm grateful for the support. And please stay motivated stay safe and of course continue talking micro until the next time bye